Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Shane Anything for August 2021. This is a reward for patrons who pledge $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. If you want to get on the call, make sure you pledge at that level or higher, although everyone gets to watch the archive. We have a great group of people in for the call today. This may take an hour or less, but it probably will take longer than that. Let's get straight to it. First question from the first person who was in the call today. Aaron, what's going on? You're known as Sorfear across Sifted. How's your Saturday going? Great. Hot, but good. Otherwise, yeah. Happy How is here. that uh, Super Mario Maker 2 level going that you're creating for our stream next Saturday? Yep. So after you recently plugged it on Game Face uh, and you put in a condition that you're only going to allow 10 lives per uh, yeah. challenge, which is fair, uh, I'm a little bit more nervous about the level that I made specifically for the challenge. Okay. So I think I'm going to submit what I think is the best level I've made, which I made a little while ago. And if there is time and you feel you're up for the challenge, we can try the other one. But uh, I think I'll go for the one that I, I think is my best. I would have both ready because yeah. one thing I've discovered when you try to do stuff like this, where you're asking someone to do anything, <laughs> and in this case, build a whole level, your participation rate is generally pretty low. So it could be a case where I play multiple levels from the same creator. So make sure you have them all queued up. What's your uh, what's your question today? Sounds good. All right. Well, I'm wondering if uh, you or maybe the lovely crowd we have here uh, of Sifters can help me with my uh, PS4 backlog. Okay. So I have these games. Oh, which wow. I played either a little bit or not Hold at all. Hold those up and I'll read them really quickly. So you have Star Wars Jet. No, keep yeah. them. There you go. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Borderlands 3, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, Ghost of Tsushima, The Last of Us Part 2, and Death Stranding. That's quite a so, lineup you got there. Played this one the most. Uh, oh, Jedi Fallen Order. Through. Okay. Played Borderlands 3 for five or six hours, maybe. Sekiro, less than that. Ghost, less than that. Have not played. It's still in the plastic. Uh, Last of Us 2 and then Death Stranding. I haven't played it all either. So you're asking us which one you should play next? How, help me. <laughs> <laughs> You're what, looking for your, guidance. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Butter. Pick one that I must play, and then pick one that if I never played, uh, that's not the end of the world. That's fine. I mean, it's pretty better. easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, Shane, I, why don't you start, and we can have the other guys pipe in afterwards. Okay, I would play The Last of Us Part Two, and then I would play Ghost of Tsushima. Okay, it's very easy for me. But what about everybody else? I guess my question for you, just for my, I know what one I automatically would pick for you, but I also want to give you one you would like. So like, give me, give me your profile. What's your, what's your, what's your breakdown? Like what's, what's your sifted profile on there? When well, I think he icons. just did when he showed you all the games, right? Yeah. The order in which I played them. I have, yeah. I, 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 I am, I, I do enjoy souls games. Uh, I feel like you get into them and you get into the zone of it. And then once uh -huh. you, once it's been a get little out. while, you're you kind of screwed. Zone, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, um, I don't know mm. if I could go back and polish off Sekiro at this point. I would probably have to start the game from the beginning again. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just think the two best games in that stack are The Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima. So those are the two I would recommend. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I, and especially since you just said Souls-like. I mean, even though Ghost of Tsushima is not a Souls-like game in that capacity, I think the combat system, though, really does merit something that seems a little bit more like that It has that some undertones. Style. I mean, it's... Yeah. And it's, it's got mono yeah. a mono sword combat for the most part. Um, I mean, I guess what you say, do you, do you like the Arkham games? Yeah. yeah. Then I would say, yeah, that's Ghost of Tsushima for you. It's, it's Arkham swords. 
Yeah, so I, I got Arkham, a, yeah, I got a second the Ghost of Tsushima thing. Uh, I think it was the second best game from last year, uh, personally, and I didn't play The Last of Us because I don't really like Naughty Dog games that much. I don't really care. Interesting. So I'm not You're the comment. one. You're the guy. <laughs> Damn, oh, you, if you want to hear it, no. I was going to say uh, my roommate is um, actually he's leaving now, but he's actually got hired to be a developer. He's um, he works as an envi- uh, environmental artist. And so he got to play an early because his professor worked for Naughty Dog. So he got to play an early um, test of um, The Last of Us Part Two, and he never has ever played it ever since because he <laughs> thought it was horrible. And he thought he could never play it ever again. So we How have early was the test that he played? Uh, he, he, he basically played it when it about hit gold. Um, oh, wow. So and he was, hated it. And he hated it. Well, now, was it because of, it's really uh, like an intense game that has a lot of emotional impact? Was maybe that the reason or just because he didn't like the game itself? Uh, mixture of both. He thought the story was stupid, and then he oh, also thought what? the uh, okay, he... okay. Let's just pause right there. <laughs> what story in video games does he believe is good? Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I mean, objectively, that's insane. If you I play know. video, if you're a, look, if you're a film buff who never plays games, maybe I could understand it. But even I don't know. The story in that game is better than most of the stories in horror movies that I watch. So I I would not trust that guy's opinion on games going forward, Mitch. That's one of those guys I would just scratch off the list and be like, okay, you do you buddy. (laughs) Oh no. That's, that's kind of our discussion is, you know, I, I I always mock him for it of being like, Oh, it's just like the last of us part two. It's amazing. Isn't it? And then (laughs) he just looks at me. It's like you're running. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just said, I don't care for no games. And even I can say that I love the stories of their games i just don't find them fun to play like i've never paid full price for a naughty dog game i always get them at a discount or for free from ps plus or something because i just don't enjoy the experience enough i love the story i'd rather that's why i'm excited for the the hbo show show for the last of us i think that i think that's what naughty dog should be doing is writing tv and media i i don't i think that the combat and gameplay in most of naughty dog's games is loose and floppy and not fun at all i would not i would not disagree with that I yeah. would say this though. I would say The Last of Us Part Two is a step up for Naughty Dog in that regard. But I, I do, I do agree with you. Their Charlie. combat a lot of times feels loosey goosey, and um, but it is better in The Last of Us Part Two. So if that's been your stumbling block, you know, whenever you can find it cheap or whatever, I yeah. definitely recommend giving it a try. But what I, I would, I definitely I, will. It's on the list because I did play the first one. I I will play it eventually when it's when it's cheaper. But right now. There's not, I mean, you guys say there's not a lot to play. I have so much stuff in my backlog, like, like, Aaron right. does, but we don't I'm, have backlogs because we, well, I do. I mean, there's a ton of games that, like, I'll play for like 10 or 15 hours to be able to talk about them intelligently on Game Face. And then, you know, around this time of year, I will go back and finish them usually. But once we get into like September, there's really no going back for me, like, because mm-hmm. there's just always another game or two that comes out every week that I have to keep chugging forward with. So, that is one thing that I do not like about my vocation is I don't get to finish as many games as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously there's other perks, so I'm not crying or anything like that. But it would be nice to be able to go back and finish some of this stuff a little bit more than I do. But I would agree with you guys in the sen- in that sense before I played The Last of Us Part 2. But after playing The Last of Us Part 2, I'd have to actually disagree that they should just be making shows um, because I think 
what made the last of us two so powerful was the fact that it was interactive and not oh, yeah, just a passive absolutely. experience that like, even when we had discussions on like spoiled and stuff, I remember I mentioned things like I couldn't, I felt like I didn't want to continue playing. I wanted to put the controller down and like, you have to hit the button when, when yeah. uh, a, a character is beating the crap out of another character. Like you can't just passively watch it. You have to actively hit the button. And that's just something you don't get in another game because they're combining that really rich story, that really rich character, along with the interactivity where it really puts you in their shoes. And so that's where I think, I think that's what their bread and butter is. And I think they just need to keep pushing in that direction. Well, I think and only I think one person here was saying that they would prefer to watch a show. I think everybody else is cool with playing their games. Oh, but to sure. your point, you're right. I mean, they put you in a lot of tough positions um, in the game. And I feel like if you didn't have to play through certain parts of it to kind of understand the struggle, then the impact of those decisions is certainly lessened. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, anyone else have a different take on what Aaron should play from his stack? I, uh, I mostly agree with everything everybody said. After God of War, Last of Us 2 is like one of the best games I've ever played. So yeah. definitely highly recommend. Um, I do just want to throw a little love towards Sekiro. And I'll be upfront, Sam, I'm a Super Souls fan. So I, <laughs> I just platinum Demon Souls. Like I love them all. Wow. Um, that being said, I can't, I can't play Sekiro because it's too difficult for me. That's um, interesting because, I, as you guys all know, I am not a huge fan of Souls games. Sekiro is the one I made the furthest progress in. And it's so crazy to hear fans of those games say that it's like the hardest one and the one that they have strugg they've struggled to go back to or to make headway. And I'm like, that's the one I actually got like halfway through that game somehow. And I play, I think I just get frustrated with the other ones and just maybe just don't concentrate as hard enough as I should when I play them. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, for think, me, the vertic I think the verticality changes up the gameplay a lot because uh, in, and I would agree with Tyler. I'm, I'm, I'm the same as him. Like I, I'm not a soul super fan, but like I definitely can tackle a souls game better with dark souls, demon souls, bloodborne than I can with Sekiro. And I think it's the verticality and the jumping because that's just such a key component of the combat system and how to move not only just to dodge but then also to be able to get up on an enemy and stuff like that that is just so foreign because you're so grounded in regards to when you're playing a, a souls game like your feet never leave the ground and that's something that's really important that that's got that weight that heaviness and that's so light when you're playing Sekiro it feels like a feather compared to a rock when you're playing a Bloodborne game Aaron I would say that's quite a stack of games you got there like I know, you, right? <laughs> you really can't go wrong with any of them, like except for maybe Death Stranding. <laughs> maybe Death Stranding, yeah. <laughs> and maybe Borderlands. Uh, not with 3. the new update. The new update you might like. Maybe. <laughs> maybe Borderlands Three. Like I kind of struggled to play that after like ten or twelve hours. It just kind of started being very samey, but it's still yeah. a solid game if you like loot shooters, you know. So I, I feel if you played one and two, which I have, you don't really need to play three unless you absolutely love the franchise. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I don't think you can go wrong with any of those games. So, right. so um, if I had to sell two today, I would sell Borderlands 3 and Death Stranding. <laughs> well, I'll say this. If you're listening to Game Face to make your per purchase decisions, I feel pretty good about your stack of games there. So I feel, yeah. like we've, yeah. I feel like we've done a decent job of leading you in the right direction for your purchases. <laughs> now you just have to finish them all. You got me to buy them. Yeah, now I just have to play them. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. Next question from Joseph. Sure. Uh, hello, Shane. Hi, everybody. What's up? Uh, happy to finally get to make one of these. I've been, yeah, I, thanks I for joining. I always try and something's always coming up. And anyway, it's just been a busy, 
been a crazy couple months and crazy couple of years at this point almost. Um, so my question for you, Shane, is really it's kind of more business sifted future outlook oriented. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we we got into we were discussing Discord earlier before you know we started recording. And one of the things that had come up in Discord recently was a, a conversation between some of us about the outlook of what sifted could really be in in the future. And some of the things that we had thought of, and I mean, I I think I had said it first, honestly, and and we just had some discussion off of that. But have you ever considered making Game Face the focus of sifted and putting the sifted site on the back burner until you build the audience? Because your content, I love Game Face. I give you what I give you on Patreon, literally just for Game Face. Sifted is totally secondary for me in terms of Mm -hmm. like why I support you and, and your content. And, you know, all of the different shows that you've come up with, whether it was the call-in show from years ago or Three Night Weekend, like all of that's so great. And I think that if you had more time to put towards the content creation and building that audience that way, and then casually say, oh, and by the way, we have sifted, I think that that would be a really interesting approach and something new. And so have you considered anything like that or or am i insulting your life's work no not at all i mean look for first of all i I don't take offense to anything um i know that you guys love what we're doing and you want to support what we're doing and all of your feedback is just constructive criticism you're trying to help so i don't take offense to any suggestions or anything along those lines um i would just say generally i feel like i've thought about everything at least five times at this point as you said, it's my baby and I'm obsessed with it. And so, you know, it's something that I think about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365, on and on and on. So I've thought about all this stuff, but I think there's a misperception about how much time I'm spending working on the website. So at this point, I hardly spend any time. I don't spend any time at all during the week. Like I'll jump in a little bit and, and help Vincent. Like if I find something that he's missed or like, something breaks and it isn't up on sifted yet i'll jump in and make sure that we get it up like really quickly because maybe he's off doing something and wasn't paying attention or whatever so during the week i dedicate very little attention to the actual website sifted.net vincent handles all that stuff on the weekends i do curate so saturdays and sundays to give vincent a break i handle all the curation on the site it's a lot lighter than it is during the week like for instance i did it this morning I started working on it at like 8.30 in the morning and I was done at like 9.45 or 10 a.m. Um, so at this point, I am not spending a ton of time working on the website at all. Um, Vincent handles that stuff. We pay him to take care of it. And um, so you could say, well, whatever you're paying Vincent is money that you could put towards something else. Um, so you know, maybe that's a fair criticism. Uh, but for myself and my time, it's generally not spent working on the website at all anymore. So... That's really not a concern. The, the bigger concern is what do I spend my time doing as far as content is concerned? So Pactor Factor, we publish three episodes a week um, and that takes up a lot of my time. Game Phase takes a lot of my time. Um, like for instance, I'll start working on, for Game Phase on Tuesday, I'll start working on that tomorrow. I'll start putting together B-roll of stuff that I've been playing. I'll get together a loose rundown of the topics that maybe will make the show by Tuesday because then I'll get up on Monday and new stuff will break. That's more important than this stuff. And so it's this like adjusting thing. And then once I decide what the final rundown is on Monday, then I got to get the B-roll finalized for what the show is actually going to be. And then I have to do all the stuff like create all the graphics for game face. Um, I have to handle the promotion for all the stuff on there's the problem is that I'm just one person. Um, and it's really hard just for me to do what I'm doing right now and handle all the other stuff that goes on 
behind the scenes with like our site engineer um, working on things for the site. Like we're trying to get ads on the site. We've been trying to do that for like a year now, um, but like we can't afford to pay our site engineer full-time money. So he has another job and he works on Sifted on his spare time. And sometimes he gets done with work and he doesn't want to work on anything else. And I totally get that. So it's always been kind of, I feel like Sifted from the beginning has been me trying to squeeze like blood out of a turnip, you know, trying to get more out of my time than really is probably feasibly possible. Um, so back to your question, which is, you know, I, you know, you're a big game face fan and that's why you give us whatever you give us on Patreon and you don't maybe you do or you don't use the website that much. The, the long-term prospect for me isn't creating content. I hate to say it, but like content pays the bills right now, but you know, eventually what's, what's going to happen. I can't keep doing this forever. Like I'm not 23 anymore. Like I was when a lot of you guys maybe first discovered me at GameSpot or G4 or game trailers even. Um, and so I, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things for me is I feel like when people see Matt and I on the show, they just turn it off because they look at us and they're like, you guys are old. I'm like 18. And we get that a lot. Like people in the YouTube comments will be like two old guys arguing or whatever. Um, and like it or not, that's just the way it is. If the mass audience of people who watch stuff on YouTube or support people on Patreon, they're like 18 to 25 years old, generally. Like there aren't many people our age that are still doing this stuff. Um, and I think it's because if you get to a certain age, it's hard to build an audience. And so that's kind of been a struggle. And so if I look at my long-term prospects, I'm like, I'm not going to get any younger. I'm going to keep getting older. Matt's going to keep getting older. We've built like this very dedicated audience, but we struggled to grow it. And I think a big problem is our age, to be honest with you. So one of the things I've been thinking about is like, okay, maybe it's smarter to turn Sifted into a podcasting network where it's not so focused on video, or we start recruiting younger folks or younger people to start fronting some of our content so that it, people don't just turn it on and they're like, oh my gosh, they're so old and turn it off. Um, you know, I am not so proud um, that I won't make decisions that some people may think would be at like my personal detriment. Like I don't, I don't really care about like how many people follow me on Twitter or any of that crap. Like I really don't care as long as people like the content I'm creating, that's all I care about. And so I don't really have like an ego. And so for me, the thing that the decisions that I'm going to make are what's going to be better for Sifted as a company versus what's going to be better for me. And I just wonder if we're kind of shifting towards just a podcasting network where almost all our stuff is like audio only. And you guys are getting it like, one show, at least one show that we produce daily that's going into your podcast feeds. That's kind of the way people are doing stuff now. Um, I mean, you can see it. If you look at our competitors, most of them don't even have like B-roll in their shows. I mean, they're just sitting there just talking. And most people are okay with that. Would I be okay with it? No. Like, I don't watch those shows. I just listen to them. Like, I put them in a tab and I listen to them. They're a podcast to me. They're not video content. So, that's kind of the way things are going. Like everyone's just kind of setting up podcasting networks now, but it's a challenge to get people to jump through the hoops to set up the podcast feed. Like there are still tons of people who are patrons who don't have their podcast feed set up and it's so easy, but then some people will try and they'll send me messages and like the, the problems that they run into, I'm baffled. I'm like, how, why would you think that you would do that? Like that makes no sense whatsoever. If you just read the instructions, like somewhere they stray from the instructions. I'm like, but the instructions don't tell you to do that. Oh, well, I just thought blah, blah, blah. Like, 
there's hassles with both sides. The hassle of producing the video stuff is that it takes me two and a half days to get ready for an episode of Game Face. But as you said, that's the reason you subscribe. I feel like a lot of people are patrons just for that show alone. But is it a good use of my time to spend two and a half days to produce one show? Right now it is, because it seems to be that's why most people are pledging. Looking down the road at the long-term implications of it, I don't know that that's the case. So we're always looking at what we're doing, looking for ways to tweak it. But I think to kind of allay your concerns, like I am not spending that much time on Sifted, the website anymore. Mm-hmm. Any follow-up um, to that stuff? Yeah, I do have a little follow-up because I, I want to make it clear when I say that I, I you know, support you for Game Face, I support you for you and Matt and what you guys say. I mm-hmm. honestly don't care if you have B-roll that much. I don't really need the fancy graphics. I like the new graphics from the, you know, the re, the re you know, do and, and everything with the new studio. I think that's great. But like, I just like hearing what you guys have to say on things. You know, you talked about your competition. I think of, you know, people who are comp- who are your competitors like Last End Media with Colin Moriarty and that. I mean, when I started listening and he started in, in games again and brought himself back over to games, he had like 4,000 patrons or something like that or, or less, which obviously is a lot people in general, but yeah, I mean, you gotta realize that's eight times what we have. Yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> so when you start but, with that kind of money, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. But to me, like his, what, what, what they did was, you know, they just added more shows and more podcasts and brought more people on. And I, you know, you said turning sifted into a podcast uh, service. I think that's actually, you know, a good idea because I view game face as a podcast. I know you, you know, it's video content, but it's a video podcast to me. You know, I, Put you guys on. I you know I use the archive every every day that I eat. I, use, I one episode of Game Face I listen to through the whole week basically. Yeah, we hear that at, a lot. Meals. And that because it's such a long show and I love it. It's great. And I think that you know most people who support you guys for Game Face are supporting you for you and for Matt and for your opinions and not necessarily all of the the two days worth of work that you have to put into the show. I think that if you cut the workload and I mean not make sifted an audio podcast but reduce the workload to keep it video but not make it as intricate and as deep and thorough as it is, I think that people would still support you and that would free up your time to create, you know, a second show, you know, make more mm-hmm. of your spoiled episodes and, and, or make, you know, something like Sifted HQ again. That was great when Mitch was working with you guys, you know, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was good content you put out there. Um, and it just feels and it like did nothing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it didn't affect it literally did, did nothing. nothing. And that was a lot of work. That's, that's really the thing. Too. I mean, Mitch knows how much work we put into that show. Oh, like God. it was, it, I mean, you, I it was about an it. overnight. It was an overnight. Literally, we're up at like 1 a.m. going like we need all the final because I got to edit yeah. all the footage together from his segments, my segments, put it all together. Yeah. I'm not done until 2 a.m. That yeah. every yeah. single week that day. And then I was assembling before. it after that to get it up in the morning. It it did nothing. Yeah. Nothing. We That's the frustrating part. I think I mentioned this last time on Ashing Anything. It feels like nothing that we do makes a difference mm-hmm. ever. Um, we have launched. I mean, I think we have literally launched. I counted them like two months ago, like 23 shows since we've launched Sifted. And some of them are just like short segments. Some of them are big projects like Sifted HQ. Like we worked on pre-production for that show for like months before it ever even launched. Mm-hmm. And then it goes live and people love it at first. And then they quit watching it. And the same thing happened with Three Night Weekend. People loved it at first and then they quit watching it. And then we put it on YouTube and it's like crickets. So yeah. It's easier for someone like Colin who just snaps his fingers and has 4,000 patrons because he worked at IGN or wherever he was at kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's easy for him to like do whatever the hell he wants and experiment because if he loses 200 patrons, he's like, whatever, right. we'll just change it and they'll come back. We lose 200 patrons. We lose half our patrons. Right. Like it's, 
I if I had any kind of a budget, I really wish I just had any kind of a budget. I really do. Get an extra $150 this month to do this. Like it's absurd. It mm-hmm. really is absurd. Um, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of reasons why we're in this position. I could go on. I think I did in the last episode. I went on for like an hour about it. So I don't want to rehash all that stuff. Right, right, right. Um, but it's not, it's not as simple to just look at us and then look at our competitors and say, why don't you do what they're doing? You can't like when you have $60,000 a month coming in or a hundred thousand dollars a month coming in. I mean, it's honestly, I'll be honest with you. It's kind of pathetic what some of these patrons or patrons are doing with the money that they're making. Like they're lazy. I'll be honest with you. Like there are some weeks where we put out more content than patron Patreons that have like 10 times the money that we have. And I would understand if like we put something up and you guys hated it and you're like, that's bad. And I'd be like, okay, that's bad. We'll stop doing it. But we put stuff up. You guys are like, oh my God, this is incredible. So why does nobody else think it's incredible? It's baffling. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it's like you said, you know, having a budget for, for marketing and just getting your yourselves out there, you know, um, collaboration with other sites. I don't know if you guys have noticed or not. I've yeah. never been on Easy Allies. I've had Brandon on our show. I've had Damiani on our show. I've had Bloodworth on our show. I don't think they do a lot of guests. Yeah, they like, don't. I've seen them have like their friends on from time to time, but I haven't actually I mean, you seen would them. think I'd be a friend. I well, worked I with them for eight years. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't know what it is. Anyway, that well, doesn't help. Like people have got to look at it like, okay, Shane worked with Easy Allies for eight years and they won't invite him on the show. Why would I invite him on our show? It doesn't help for sure. Yeah, my, my like, last thought. Colin Moriarty has had me on his show. <laughs> I've been on Colin stuff. I have never been on Easy Allies. Think about that for a second. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a patron of all of you. So, I mean, I'm sure Colin would welcome you back if you reached out. And, you know, he's been doing an interview show for like just games related interviews in the, over the last couple of uh, couple of months. He started that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'd welcome you back, too. I don't know what why. Because <laughs> like Aaron said, Easy Allies doesn't really do that much collaboration, but I. I'm very. I was always surprised that I never saw you pop up on their stuff. stuff Have you reached out to them? Have you said, "Hey, you know, like I'm struggling, and if you could just, you guys could throw me a bone." I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not going to ask them to go on their show. Just like they didn't ask me to come on my shows. I wanted them on the show, so I asked them to come on the show. That's how it works. Like I would only, I would only say like it would apply if like if they were coming in a collaboration of like, Hey, I have this idea. I love to get you involved in this idea. Not necessarily being like, Hey, come on my show because. That almost comes off like, and I'm just doing a lot of job searching at the moment for other type of positions. I'm, I'm working for people that don't know, update quickly. I'm working. I'm good. I'm well, in LA good. still. Everything's all good. Um, I'm, just, I'm just very, very busy. So, um, but, uh, but I just, I think of it as a LinkedIn type thing of like going to a job recruiter and say, hire me for this job instead of, instead of just saying, Hey, how's it going? And have them have the idea to say, Hey, we have this open position. You'd be great for it. You know, that yeah. kind of thing where it's like I mean, recruiters someone... don't want that from you. Recruiters want to say, I have this job for you instead of saying, hire me. I want this job. As someone who's unemployed for like 18 months or so and only just recently found a job. Congrats. Uh, Congrats, man. You. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's rough. Uh, it, it was it was rough out there. I, I'm a lawyer by trade and the lawyer market is just trash. And anyway, so I, uh, you know, I get what Mitch is saying with that for sure. Like it's. You know, the dealing with those recruiters, like saying, "Hey, by the way, don't forget that I exist. I'm I'm still alive. If you're, if you still have job openings, and if you don't do that every like week, they don't think about you. They just don't." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, like I, you I'm said not... the blood, like you know, hey, blood, how's it going, man? Like, uh, you guys are doing great. Uh, you know, 
want to like we, have me look, on your show we, at some point? Bloodworth and those guys, they sometimes retweet my tweets. They like my tweet. They know I'm here, dude. Oh, like cool. it's okay. not like. I'm not sure if you guys are maybe patrons of them, but it's, it just sounds like you're giving them a lot of slack here. Like I, from my perspective and I like follow their stuff for a little while, but kind of fell off. Um, like Shane worked with them for eight years. They're both doing similar things. They both have these patrons. Like it's, from my perspective, really strange the way that they're going about it. I don't think so, there's any. Oh, I don't disagree with you at this man. point. I don't, I don't, I don't think you. there's any denying that it's weird. Like if they have people out or someone sick or whatever, like they know they can text me. They all have my phone number, and I could be there in ten minutes to sit in on a show. Like I struggle to think that they would think I wouldn't be qualified to discuss stuff. Like maybe and they, they do. think you're too busy. Well, I mean, no, you are running a site by yourself. Maybe. Well, like, well, I mean, very insular. Uh, so to kind of put it in perspective, I I was fortunate enough to meet Brandon Jones. So he came for that guest episode, and I was there uh, just behind the scenes. But even in their conversation with them talking with each other, like yes, they're both busy. They both understand they're very very busy. But it did not seem as if it was something like Brandon Jones forgot that Shane didn't exist on the face of the earth. He knew yeah. he still existed. It's more of it seems like they just don't want to collaborate with people and, and it's a rarity if they do, if it's only for their strict benefit. And I think the only time I've ever seen them really collaborate with another group would be um, that was kind of funny. I mean, yeah, kind of funny um, when they were like looking at ways to up their studio. I think they were like looking for ideas, yeah. but like, even so I, I think, I mean, look, let's be honest. It's, weird. it's that's just the way our society kind of is. It's like, what have you done for me lately? That's very much how people operate. And it's very like, I just saw an onion article yesterday that the, the headline was like most desperate move, um, including email address on last day of work. Basically like saying like, when you leave a job and you send out that email and you're like, Hey, if any of you want to stay in touch, here's my, my email address. It's like the most desperate thing. Cause no one's ever going to do it. Like I, like, and then I thought to myself, like when I left game trailers, I sent that email. Like I sent out an email. It's like, thanks. It's been great working with all you guys. Like, I love you all. And I'd really like to stay in touch. Here's my email address. Like three people ever emailed me again. And that was like the next day for they're like, Hey, thanks for that. Like $3 million idea you gave me. Or like it was people where I had like made them a shit ton of money with an idea that I gave them. Nobody else though, no other email. And so it's, it's just kind of the way society is. It's like, well, you can't do anything for me anymore. So ta-ta. Like, that's just kind of how it is. Um, and I don't blame people for being that way because that's the way almost everybody is. There's like seven of them, right? So like, yeah. and then like three of them you're really, really close with. Like yeah. maybe you're just getting outvoted in regards that's to like, possible. hey, I want, hey, I want to bring Shane on the show. And they're all four of them are like, nope, that's not how we do things. And then the, the other three really want you on the show. Yeah, like that's, I mean, I'm not trying to give, to excuse anything because i think yeah, of course i think they should still do, do it i mean i think yeah and again uh, it's their business and yeah. they can do whatever the hell they want you know if they think that, that i'm bad for their business that's their decision and their right you know it's their right to make that decision so one more follow-up thought i had while we were discussing and you discussed like podcast networks and being and creating one like that you've also said in previous ask shane anything that there's a lot of sifted website podcasts that you've helped like you know, support and launch like through the site. So what about bringing people in and, and making the podcast network 
with sifters i've already thought about it believe me yeah all you guys who are making a community podcast don't think i'm not watching and listening and that's all i'm gonna say on that oh you saw me pull up some b-roll this week (laughs) (laughs) um it's definitely something i've i've thought about and i've been thinking about because that's another thing that a lot of podcasting networks do is they have their own roster of shows and they start getting their community involved in official media um and so i'm looking at all that stuff um but yeah that's a great suggestion and i'm kind of already thinking about it if you did another show that was just a podcast how much easier and quicker would it be for you than doing something like game face um well if game face were just a podcast oh my god (laughs) like there would be no prep none at all i mean just just show up and and just shoot the shit that's pretty much all it is um i don't know if i could ever be that lazy making a show to be honest with you i would just view myself as lazy but I'm not saying turn Game Face into a podcast. I'm saying you have Game Face at your flagship, uh, as Joseph mentioned before. But just like, you know, uh, every other week, you can have just like a half hour podcast or an hour podcast that's just easy for you to put together as far as all the production. And then it's just more content that's like might get yeah. out there. And it's not showing the faces, <laughs> the old faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm working on a new pod. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm trying to figure out content that I can produce daily so that we have a podcast in your feeds every day that you can count on. And I am working on that right now. And the, the shows will be shorter. So they'd be like 20, 25 minutes. Um, and it would just be all audio and no video at all. And it would be like daily. You get it like Monday through Friday. Uh, that but that's all I'm going to say perfect. about it right now. That's perfect. Cause uh, I listen to a New York. So I drive a lot for work. I, I have to drive to my clients' houses all the time to go work with their families and so I do a lot of podcasting in my car. Yeah. And one podcast I is a guarantee I go to is called The Daily from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. It's a 20 minute podcast. And then the best part is you can speed it up to like now I can now I can listen to podcasts at two times the speed. So I can get <laughs> through so can much. Still stuff. absorb it all. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I was gonna tell you, I know you don't like Dragon Ball Z and Shane, but one thing you should do. Go watch Dragon Ball Z at like one and a half or two times the speed. It's probably some of the most entertaining stuff you could ever watch. And you get through so many episodes. It's great. But anyway, um, no, I think that's I think it's a perfect length. If you're looking for something daily, yeah, 20 minutes is you don't need anything more than that. I do a lot of observation of other podcasting networks because I consume them. Like when I talk (laughs) to people that are like, I don't really listen to podcasts or I don't really like podcast. Basically, the flag goes up that you have never tried podcasts because once you start using them and you get used to like using a podcast app, like they kind of take over your life. I listen to podcasts like all day. I listen to podcasts while I'm taking a shower every day. I have a little Bluetooth speaker in my bathroom. And while I'm taking a shower, I listen to like the podcasts of the day for like the sports teams. I like like the penguins and the Steelers, like the, of uh, the podcasting mm-hmm. networks that I follow, which I'm kind of thinking about modeling sifted after. Like there's this website in Pittsburgh called DK Pittsburgh Sports. They're basically sifted for Pittsburgh sports. Like one of the big journalists in Pittsburgh was like, I'm sick of working for somebody else. I'm starting my own network. And I just listen to their podcasts all day. When I'm in the shower, I listen to like their, they have a podcast called Daily Shot of Penguins. And it's just like a 20 minute podcast on whatever the news was about the Penguins that day. And then they have one for the Steelers and the Pirates that I don't care about as much, but So I just am constantly consuming podcasts and it's not all about gaming. Like a lot of it, most of it isn't about gaming. Um, So when I hear people say, I don't really like podcasts or like, I don't know, like, I just feel like they haven't really tried them yet because I I think the future, everyone's going to be doing what I'm doing and just consuming podcasts left, right and center. So 
I do want to kind of maybe get in on that before maybe another gaming publication kind of dives into it. Um, but anyway, you know, a lot of that comes down to resources and. I just don't use podcast apps. I just use whatever like Patreon. I download it to my phone or I just use the YouTube video of it. Mm-hmm. What I do is I download the YouTube video onto yeah. my phone. And yeah, so yeah. like, that's how I listen to all my press conferences when I watch something or if I, for yeah. like listening to game face, I'll do it that way. That's how I do it. I'll download mm-hmm. the whole video onto my phone and then just listen to it while, and then peek every now and then if there's something I want to look at for a yeah. second, the times YouTube they are changing. There's no doubt value. about it. Um, and, you know, if you look at a game face, just from even just from an audio only perspective, you're getting three hours a week instead of an hour a week or whatever. So you're getting a lot of value. And I feel like people who say game face is too long, they're consuming it as a video like they're not using it as a podcast. And that's why I'm always pushing people to like get game face hooked up in your podcast feed. You'll discover a whole new value to the show if you do that. But it's hard to convince people to jump through hoops or download an app and then teach them how to like, you know, get game face into their app and all that stuff. So well, uh, there are barriers, what, but well, I think what a help. And I know, I know you're, I know it's your thing. Like I, we talked about it, even when I worked with you is, is about the, the B roll. And I think mm-hmm. what would help it, it's make people understand it's more of a, to make it more of a podcast feel is to get rid of the B roll. And I think my second point of why I would say get rid of the B roll. Well, actually two things. One it's time consuming. I know how much time consuming it is for you uh, firsthand. And then two, um, a lot of the times, I, one, I don't look at the B-roll and then two, um, I feel as if the B-roll isn't something that, uh, is something I need because uh, I can find that kind of B-roll somewhere else. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, a lot of these other places have reviews and video reviews specific. So that's where I get my B-roll from, from seeing the content of the game of what I want to see from the game, because they're going to use it to, uh, to like, uh, characterize what they're trying to talk about in the middle of the review, just like we were doing with sifted HQ and talking about certain segments like that. So I felt as if the, the, the B-roll, I know you show like the first segments of the game, but I feel like it doesn't serve that enough of a purpose that I think it would save you time mm-hmm. while being able to do more with what you want to do with that's the, the podcasting stuff, which I think everyone would probably be more in agreement, but they're like, give me more podcasts or give me B-roll. I think everyone would say, give me more podcasts. I, I think I disagree with the uh, B-roll uh, comment because I think the B-roll is great. And I think when you guys are talking about a show and I can just look over and be like, oh, okay, that's what they're talking about. Um, Sometimes the B-roll jogs our memory to talk yeah. about stuff that we would have completely forgotten and left out. Um, we'll just be watching the B-roll as we talk and we'll see something in a game. We'll be like, oh yeah. I mean, just for me personally, Mm -hmm. uh, because my brain is going in a billion different directions all week before I come in for a game phase, it's easy to forget something that you really wanted to bring up. And sometimes just watching the B-roll as we're doing the show, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. And then you can actually talk along with the Mm -hmm. B-roll and explain some stuff to people. And obviously I understand if you're listening to the audio only version, you're like, damn it, I can't see what they're talking about. But for the people who do watch the video version, I think there's some value in it. But I do hear what you're saying, Mitch. Like, it's a cost-benefit analysis. You know, the time that I'm spending working on the B-roll versus how many people actually appreciate the B-roll. I wish we could afford a new TriCaster so the B-roll looked better. Our old TriCaster is, like, it's really on its last legs right now. We're having a bunch of problems with audio with it right now. And I can't afford to buy a new one. And because it's broken... Basically, I can't really sell it for any amount of money now. No one can seem to figure out what's wrong with it or fix it. I've been on Reddit. I've been on New Tech, which is a company that makes TriCasters, their forums. And like no one can figure it out. 
and it's i don't i don't fully understand how a tricoster works but uh with the with the powerful computer and a stream deck would it not be pretty close and then you could control it, I, i've quality? looked into all that there's this new system called vmix that a lot of people are using and basically for that all you have to do is just build a beastly pc which is expensive but you're getting other functionality out of it <clears throat> the tricaster is this thing that does one thing and you can't use it for anything else in fact if you try to use it for other things it like invalidates your warranty so um the new thing is like vmix that a lot of people are using i have been looking into that i do need to build a rig but i can't get components now i cannot get a gpu mm. i've tried i can't find one anywhere they're always sold out i'm in those like new egg um raffles that they do i've never won one of those i can't get a gpu so um, that's one area that we're looking at going down that road of building a new PC, um, but I can't get the parts for it right now. So mm. it's just a big crap sandwich, <laughs> to be I mean, honest. If you need help getting parts, and I mean, I'm sure that the sifters would be happy to you know get in line and help you. I just just yesterday, two days ago, bought a PS5 for my uh, trainer at my new job because uh, he was trying to get one and I got it and he's going to, you know, I paid it and had it shipped to him. He's going to pay me back for it. I'm sure that anyone on the side would be happy to help. People have been helping. People have tried. They were the ones who first got me onto the new egg raffles. And I joined up and my name's in there and I get the emails and I never win. Um, PS fives, yeah. like they are easier to get than GPUs. I think I'm not kidding at this point. They are, uh, there was a point where PS fives were harder, but now I think they're easier to get than GPUs. So yeah, um, because, you know, people who are willing to plunk down 550 bucks for a console, uh, that number is dwindling unless more games start coming out. People are always going to need GPUs. People just for Bitcoin mining and crypto mining and stuff, they're always going to sell. So um, people are trying to help me. I just have struck out so far, unfortunately. Uh, next up, Tyler, what do you got? Hey, Shane. Uh, so I'm a liberal hack on Twitch and Shifted. Okay. Put the two and two together. Awesome. Um, so you touched on this a little bit already, actually, but I, I've been curious, you know, you often talk about uh, the way that you play games is kind of dictated by your job. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to ask you kind of a general question. Say you didn't have this job, say you had like a regular day job or whatever. Um, how would that change how you interact with games? Like, would you still play as diverse a catalog of games? Would you finish more games, other games that you just wouldn't play, um, things like that? If I had a non-gaming job, I would appreciate Sifted a lot more <laughs> because in my current job, I kind of have to play and know about everything. Um, but if I were at my age and I had a job in, let's say, marketing or whatever, and it was completely unrelated to games, I would only be playing the big stuff for sure. Um, I would not be playing these little indie games that I have to play every week or even like a lot of like the double A games, games like like when I play a game like The Medium, no, I probably wouldn't. Um, I may eventually when we get to real dry spells, I'm never going to stop playing. So I'm always going to play. Um, if I'm working a full time job, 40, and usually when I work a full time job, I'm working really like 50, 60 hours a week. Um, my time's going to be really my extra time to play games is going to be really precious, precious at that point. And I realize this is the position all you guys are in. So <laughs> I, maybe that's really what your question is, is if you were me. How would you be spending your time playing games? Because most of you guys don't have jobs working in the industry. Um, and so to me, Sifted would be really important to bubble up the stuff that I should actually care about without having to spend a ton of time doing it, like kind of rooting around um, through Twitter or through YouTube or whatever. Um, Sifted to me would be really more valuable to me than it is right now. 
So I would be probably playing the big stuff for the most part. Um, I probably, I probably wouldn't be getting into a single game for as long. So I tend to like find games like multiplayer games that I get into and I play them a lot. So for years, it's been Call of Duty. I got really turned off of Call of Duty this year really early. And I kind of switched over to Rocket League and I've been playing the crap out of Rocket League. And if I had a job where I wasn't using my work hours to play games and then my free time to play those multiplayer games, those multiplayer games would probably go away because I would only have so much time to play like all the single player stuff that I wanted to play and stuff that I technically play on my free time now, which are multiplayer games. I, I, the free time would be spent on the big stuff that I wanted to play otherwise. So probably my multiplayer game would gaming would go down a lot. That'd be my guess. Uh, which is probably why a lot of yeah. you guys are like, I don't play a lot of multiplayer. It's probably why Matt doesn't play a lot of multiplayer. Um, because a lot of people can't play single player stuff on the clock, so to speak. And I can. So, and believe me, my clock is weird. Like sometimes I'll get up at seven in the morning and I'll start playing a game until like nine 45 in the morning. And then I'll jump on a call with like our site engineer and I'll talk to him for two hours and then I'll handle all my emails for an hour. And then I'll jump back in the game. It's, my schedule's insane and it would be a lot more normalized as well. If I had like a normal nine to five, so to speak, and just had to use my spare time to play. So I think that's the best way I can answer it. Hi-ya! Jason Frankovitz. Are you still there? I, of course I'm still here. <laughs> What's your question, my friend? Uh, let's see. I kind of have um, a multi-part question. Okay. Um, my, my first one is uh, what developer, not, not this generation is a little too new. So maybe you want to answer this from like PS4, PS3, Xbox One. Um, But what developer exceeded expectations the most when they launched a title? Um, That's my first question. Hmm. That's a tough one. So you're saying like what studio with a very specific release went from like a studio that I wasn't paying that much attention to, to one that I'll always pay attention to. Is that a fair translation of the question? Yeah, that's, that's really close. You know, it would be like, for example, the answer to this would not be insomniac because they're making great games all along. Okay. Forever. Right. So that's not a surprise. I want to know what developer surprised you and made you realize Wow, this game, this developer, they're on my they're on my list now. Uh, Housemark with Returnal, easy. Um, I've always been a, a Housemark fan, but they've made you know small games like Rezo Gun, like little like arcade style shooters, which I always love because I love the aesthetic and the tone of their games. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that it was capable of a game like Returnal, to be honest with you. It had started shifting away from kind of those arcade shootery type games a little bit. Like they had a game called Matterfall that was really bad. Um, but it was more like 3d kind of approaching like the double a space a little bit. Um, but you could, could, you could see what they were trying to do. They just weren't capable of doing it. And so after seeing stuff like Matterfall, where I saw them try to kind of dip their toes into bigger budget projects and really they fell on their face. My expectations for anything after that were like, I really thought that they would go back and say, okay, we're going back to our roots because this is what people know us for. And this is the, these are the games that we made that people really loved. Um, they didn't do that. Instead, they were like, no, we believe that we can do this and we're going to trudge forward in this other new direction. And it paid off. So 
It's not so much for me because I've always liked Housemark, but I guarantee Housemark made a ton of new fans with Returnal. People who had no idea what the studio was or where they came from, who are now like, oh, they're one of Sony's first party studios. And they just accept it as such. They're like, it makes sense. They made Returnal. It's a great game. Now they're first party Sony. If you had talked to someone about Housemark like two years ago and been like, they're going to be Sony's next first party studio, they'd have been like, well, that would be a stupid acquisition. So I think probably Housemark would be the studio for me. Got What's your follow-up? That, that make, um, uh, my follow-up is, and this is more kind of a vintage question. Okay. Um, what developer, <laughs> vintage. <laughs> vintage, you know, from three months ago, um, <laughs> uh, what developer from past generations, either PC or console, isn't making games anymore and you miss them you wish they were still making games they're not making them at all yeah they're out of the business okay out of the business or, or they've had a pivot that is so drastic that they're just not in they're not in video games hmm. well bungie <laughs> i'm not a big destiny fan so um i used to love bungie's games and now i'm hardly even interested in playing them so they've fallen but they're still making games um as far as a studio that disappeared that i really miss i mean i would probably throw rare into that pile as well I used to love rares games some of the stuff they've been making lately i can appreciate that other people like it but it's just not for me so right. rare would probably be another one as far as studios that completely went away, I mean, if you want to go way back, like Westwood Studios, like EA snatched them up and just basically wiped them it out. Did Command and Conquer, right? Yeah. And I love that. I was yeah. a huge PC gamer back in that era because most people yeah. who were huge gamers were big PC gamers back then because they had the best games hands down. PC did. Yeah. So Westwood would be one. I liked Pandemic. I thought they made great games. That's another studio that was bought and shut down pretty unceremoniously. Um, let me think. What else? I mean, those are probably the two big ones. Um, a lot of studios don't get shut down. They just get absorbed and they start working on projects for other studios and things like Toys for Bob. Like a lot of people may think that they're gone, but they're really not. Like they're still there. They're just getting handed like ports and stuff like that, um, which is great for the people that work there. They're still employed. They're still making money, uh, making video games. But for people who appreciated what they were doing creatively before that, I think it's a little disappointing. Yeah. Mitch, last oh. question of Ashane Anything. What do you got? Before the question, Jason, I got a good one for you. Supermassive Games. That's one that put them on the map for me uh, until Dawn is great. The rest of the anthology series, not so great, but it's one that didn't know they ex really existed uh, and they put themselves on a the map. Until Dawn is $9.99 on the summer sale on the PS store right now. I think I'm because of you, I'm going to buy it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hands down, you should. It's one of the best in regards to the For controller, bucks, controller click it. adventure <laughs> yeah. in quick time. Um, my question for you, Shane, is now we're going now we're going to go back. I, okay. I go and keep going retro, I guess, <laughs> is uh, what is one review you regret giving a score to from any publication that you worked for? Let's say one game. What was the score and what do you think it deserved? Okay, um, that's a great question. And I just want to give it a little context. So I'm not saying that when I reviewed the game that the score was crazy based upon what the standards of games were at the time, but more of going back and playing them now, 
which game do am I like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I gave it such a high score. That game for me is Eternal Darkness, for sure. I gave it a 9.7 on GameSpot when I worked there. I think it was 2001. Um, and at the time, and believe me, our reviews at GameSpot at that time were vetted. Um, if you were going to give a game anything over like an 8.5, you were called into the office to have a discussion with Greg Kasavin to explain yourself. Um, and I thought that was great editorial. And a lot of the, a lot of the ways I function editorially are have branched out from how we function at GameSpot. I wasn't that aggro. Like if, if I had played a game at game trailers and someone else reviewed it and their score seemed way off from mine, I would bring them into my office and we'd discuss it. But there was a hard and fast rule at GameSpot where games 8.5 or higher, you were just going to have a discussion with Greg. Um, And so that went through that whole vetting process with Greg. And uh, there wasn't really much pushback on that score at all at GameSpot, even though at that point, I think GameSpot had given two perfect 10s ever. Um, But what happened was I had finished the game and I started talking to people. I'm like, it's really damn good. And so then other people in the office started playing it because they're like, okay, Shane's teeing this up to get a high score. Some of, some more of us need to play it to see if he's right. Um, and so it went through that whole process and everyone was like, yep, you're right. It's great. Like the production values are sky high. The way the storytelling is unlike anything, but now going back and playing it, it's very clunky. And even something that I discovered back when I reviewed eternal darkness originally, which is there's a way to just cheap your way through the whole game. So I don't know if you guys remember, but the way the combat worked in the game is you chopped off limbs. This is before Dead Space. <laughs> you could like decide like what limbs to chop off of enemies. And so what I discovered eventually was you just go into a room and you just chop the head off of every enemy. And it was over because then they just wander around aimlessly and you can just take your time killing the rest of them. So there's like a fatal flaw in Eternal Darkness that I even recognized while I was reviewing it. And I believe I put it in the review on GameSpot. Um, but not that long ago, I was messing around with Dolphin, and I went back to play it um, on the emulator, and it was hard to play. Um, and a part of it is back then, that's kind of the way third-person action-adventure games were. There were fixed camera. And I know you love fixed camera angles, Mitch, as a big OG Resident Evil fan. Um, bread and butter. <laughs> and so I, you know, back then, that was just par for the course. That's the way action-adventure games were. You had a fixed camera, and you learned the tank controls and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I think in the context of when it came out, the score wasn't crazy, but now I look back at it, it's probably my most regrettable review score. Okay. I kind of do have a follow-up to it. Uh, okay. Cause, but I first want to say, no, you did go a wall on one game and that was, I believe it was ghost Re- ghost recon advanced Warfighter fighter because you went to GT and they're like, Oh, we're going to give this a 9.7. You said, please don't do that. Oh, oh yeah. That was when I was transitioning to game trailers. Yeah. So before I, and it's interesting, you remember that and you're bringing it up. So I was working at G4 and I was going through like the whole recruiting process with MTV and Viacom to bring me over to kind of lead game trailers. At that point it was Brandon. And that was pretty much it. As far as people that you guys know, it was Brandon. And then the, the two guys who had kind of funded it with Brandon were there. Um, but it was like the three people who founded Game Trailers at that point. I was their I first hire. Slusser? So, yeah. Do you know Slusser? No, I, I mean, they just, He's talk just about talked him. about him. Yeah. Yeah. They've talked about him forever. But yeah, Gro- Groats and Slusser. Groats are and Slusser. Those always were, mentioned. Yep. And so those were the only, I'm shocked that you know those names. But yeah, that's exactly who I was talking about. So it was Groats, it was Slusser, and it was Brandon. And then, and Brent, they had brought Brent in to build 
web stuff. So I was the first hire there. And they were just like, the way they were reviewing games then were like, they were just playing them at night and like shooting the shit about them. And like, there was no editorial process. There was no vetting. There was no anything. They're just like, basically, I think Jeff Groats was like, this is a 10 out of 10. And so they were going to give it like a perfect score. And I had already been playing it for review on X-Play. And so before I even got hired at GT officially, I was just in the office and we were kind of buttoning stuff up. Like I had basically told them like, yeah, I'm cool with the job. They're like, and they were working on like the offer, like the financial part of it, like what they're going to be able to offer me for a salary. But it was pretty much set in stone that I was going to go there. And so they started talking to me about stuff that they were working on, like games that I was playing. And I think some of it was maybe a test, um, a test for me. Um, and so they brought it up and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, good free kind of Warfighter. Like we've been playing it. We're loving it. And we're like working on the review for it. And I was like, oh, out of curiosity, like where are you guys leaning for the score? And they're like, oh, we're going to give it like a 10 out of 10. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Like because they that was also like the very beginning of the generation. And they had never thought about things like, hey, if we give this launch game a 10, what are we going to do for the rest of the generation? People are always going to point to that 10. They had never thought about any of that stuff because they don't have to. They had never worked in games editorial before or anything like that. So I went in. I was like, I'm just telling you guys, if you give it a 10, it's going to be a nightmare. We're all going to have to deal with for like the next five years until the next console comes out. And so they kind of like said, hmm. And I didn't think they were going to do anything. I thought they were going to give it a perfect 10. And then they did publish the review. And I think they gave it like a 9.5. So, <laughs> so they, they did like listen to me a little bit, but that's still way too high for that game. And so like, as I told them, we ended up dealing with that score for the rest of the generation because we'd review a game and we give it a score and they'd be like, but wait a minute. Ghost Recon got a 9.5. And I'm like, just act like that never happened. Like that was before we had an editorial team. Uh, yeah. So it's funny that you remember that, Mitch, and you brought it up. But yeah, that is one game that did not have my name on it, though, or my editorial team's name on it. That was all Jeff Groats and Brandon and Slusser. So I'm not responsible for that score but I did have to answer answer for it for like five years afterwards. So, so, so my actual follow-up is I want the reverse. What's a game that got a horrible score that you're like, that did not deserve that. Well, one game I've been thinking about a lot lately is Rocket League. I, re- I wrote an eval for that on Sifted, and I think I gave it like a six or so. It ended up having like a six average when it was all said and done or something like that. And so I'll look it up right now while you're talking. And so I'm playing it right now. Still, like I literally there was a gap of like five years where I didn't touch it. And then when I got sick of uh, Call of Duty because of all the cheating and I stopped playing it, I was like, well, what what can I play? What's going to be my new multiplayer game? And just out of curiosity, I'm like, I'll just download Rocket League and I'll play a match and see if they fixed any of the stuff that I didn't like about it when it first came out. And they really haven't. <laughs> it's still pretty much the same game, but I still keep playing it because it's so simple. It's mm-hmm. like you really only need like two buttons to play it. So I also have like I have Game Pass. So I've also downloaded like NHL 21, which is the latest NHL game. I'm a huge hockey fan. I've been an NHL fan since like the early 90s. And I started playing it. And I started playing it online and I started to realize that there's like all these almost like cheats that you need to use to be good at it. Like there's so many buttons and there's like certain things that you can do in the game. That's kind of like cheesing the game, like certain like defensive moves that you can use that will always strip the puck and you'll never get a penalty. For- what I started to realize is like, 
I'm not going to have to get good at this game. I'm going to have to figure the game out and find out what are the things that I can use to cheese my opponents, like certain ways that you could skate in and deke right, deke left, deke right, you score every time. Like you're basically learning how like the game's broken and how to manipulate it. And what I do like about Rocket League, there are still things about it that drive me crazy. I won't go on that tirade. But ultimately, it's a very simple game where you are controlling a car. I use like two buttons. I use the gas and the turbo and the jump, and that's it. And then it's just all about how good are you with the sticks and how good are you with the controls? And I appreciate games like that, where it's just really about like hand-eye coordination, kind of using your brain to anticipate things. Um, And so I've fallen into this hole of playing Rocket League for the last like three months now or whatever. And so I went back, I looked at my score and I'll just be honest, like all the criticisms that are in that game eval, I still stand behind, but it's a little absurd that I would give a game that kind of an average score that I have been playing for so long. So that would be the one game that kind of raises a red flag for me. So I have it in front of me. Can you guess what the score is? 5.7, maybe 5.8. Wow, that's higher. It's a uh, 4.3. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember that I railed it. <laughs> which oh, yeah. then, which then a very, very short follow up. Do you play forward or you play goalie? I play forward. Oh, I'm, we'll make a great team. I play goalie. So we'll. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. And I don't want to get in this meta about Rocket League. There should not be a goalie in Rocket League. Rocket League, everybody should be cycling. You should just be constantly doing a circle. You should take your shot. Either you land it or you miss. No matter what, you get in the back of the line and the next guy comes in behind you as support. And that cycle just keeps repeating. That's how you win at Rocket League. If you have a dude who's just sitting back in the goal all game, you're never going to win against a good team. Because oh, they... see, I, see, I don't play back goalie all the time. What I do is I like to use it as a uh, transition. So like when, when they're coming to my goal, I'll back up into the goalie position, but then I'll use it to deflect the ball to make it into a position where then we can zoom up together. And then we have the advantage because of the position I put the ball in by playing the goal. If you're the farthest guy back, you should be at half, at half court. That's yep. the farthest back as you should go. Like if the ball's in the offensive zone, you should be at half court. Right. Because I'm say I'm the first guy in, I poke it against the wall, trying to set up a pass for somebody. That person behind me comes in. They take the shot. Either they make it or they don't. Then you need to come in there and take the next shot. By the time you've done that, I've already circled behind you. And I'm now playing defense. That's how you win at Rocket League. And that's what drives me crazy about playing Rocket League. And also, if you just have one person that quits, you have no chance. Unless you're like really a lot better than the other team. That drives me crazy. People drop because the penalties for dropping aren't steep enough. So anyway. Uh, that play, is the I one game where it seems my, my score seems absurd based upon how much I've played it, I guess. Um, I played duos with my buddy for Rocket League. If you're curious about your eternal darkness, though, I pulled it up on GameSpot here. Your sentence says, in many cases, the best strategy is to enter a room, behead all the enemies, and then take your time mopping up the headless masses. Yeah. Like so, I said, I called it out even go. back then, but it is still a problem, so... See? And looking on eBay right now, it's uh, for sale for $110. So based on your recommendation, I just might pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, I just was looking through some of my old games, and I realized that I have a sealed copy of God Hand for PS2. Oh, wow. And so out of curiosity, I went on eBay, and I'm like, how much is this worth? I figured like 150 bucks. Oh, my God. <laughs> like People are asking for like $2,000 for that game sealed on eBay. I don't know if anyone ever pays that, but I was like, holy crap, like, 
I honestly don't even know what I've got. Like, because I just have stuff tucked away everywhere. And I stumbled across that sealed God hand. And I was like, I know God hand is rare and it has a cult following probably worth 200 bucks. Oh no. Holy <laughs> moly. I mean, I probably, if you ever sold it, you probably would get like 400 for it. Like those guys on eBay are just like pie in the sky, hoping they find some sucker to buy it. But it's shocking the, the prices of games, how much they've gone up. That's why I keep buying physical. Like, I'll never understand why people go all digital by choice. Like I could get it if like, I understand it. If like you could only find the PS five all digital or whatever, but I just don't see any advantage to being an all digital consumer, particularly when we may be in the last generation of physical media. Um, Think about it. Even these PS five physical games, by the time you guys are like my age or you're ready to retire, they're going to be worth a lot of freaking money. Like, I don't know why people go all digital. I mean, I understand some people are just like, I just don't want clutter in my life or I don't want to carry things around or whatever. I kind of get that. But financially, it's so much smarter to buy physical media. So I, my policy has been it's changed lately. It's been buy physical always and I always buy physical still. But if a couple of years goes by and things go on sale, I'll buy again digital because the reason to go all digital is because you're lazy and you don't want to get up and change disc. Like, that's, the only reason. Like, that's the reason why I, uh, I you know, I don't for- change disc that often. It's like I buy a game, I play it for like, it depends, but a lot of times I'll play like through the whole 40 or 50 hour game in like four days. That's still only swapping a disc once every four days. Like, yeah, think- but the thing with games today is, you know, one of the things that you got, like you said, you don't really go back to games is that games come out with DLC. Like I've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla that I platinumed hundred percent. I did that whole game. And I'm going to have to go back and have to find a disc and put it in for the Siege of Paris and for the Druids. And so you just have to swap. And then Elder Scrolls Online, I've, I've had the physical hard disc of Elder Scrolls Online since it launched on PS4 in 2015 or 16, whenever that was. I finally, it was super cheap for a digital copy. I just bought the digital so I can stop having to find that freaking disc every time a new expansion comes out. Yeah. Do, do you hide the discs games. on yourself? Why, why, why are you having such a hard time <laughs> finding them? I have a ton of discs. I've got... <laughs> PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4. Xbox you need a system, man. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be say, better organized. Say, yeah, yeah, I was okay. going to say, Shane needs to hire somebody to, to basically do all his selling of all his items for him and just collect like 10% of the profit or something. I mean, like literally, that. it may come to that someday. Like, I'll like pay my niece or my nephew <laughs> to like sell off my collection and I'll give them like a 10 or 15% cut and they'll yeah. be more than happy with that to just go on eBay and go doink, doink, doink. <laughs> Something that I, I have no interest in doing at my age. That's well, for sure. I, I live in a basement apartment in New York. I don't have room to organize things. Then. Yeah, I under, I get it, dude. I get it totally. I have lots of friends who have lived in New York and I would walk into their apartments and I'm like, what? How much are you paying for this? This is a walk-in closet, bro. Like, yeah, you know, $2,000 a I, I month. Best soon. deal in Brooklyn. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm moving to Florida in, in a couple months. So I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived there before. I know. Uh, okay. Hopefully with in a couple of months it won't be rona soup down there anymore so i've figured it out but right now it's god awful right now be the worst time to ever move to florida a short short important thing about physical media the reason why i'm totally with you guys in regards to physical media is something i learned and i learned it the hard way for a minute and i was like oh thank god i did this as a backup one of my favorite shows of all time is buffy the vampire slayer now i understand joss whedon and i can don't think you should work in Hollywood again, but obviously I'm not going <laughs> to forget the great thing he did create, which is one of my favorite shows. But I ended up buying the DVD versions of that show when I was in high school because I like wanted to just get them. So I started yeah. to buy them. Slowly. You're a fan. Yep. 
here I realized when they remastered them, they ruined the remaster. So when they put it in widescreen, they ended up doing something where they basically zoomed up the image and then cropped. So then you're the framing is off. Uh huh. So like things where you're like looking at a chin instead of looking at the whole face because right. they cropped down here yeah. and they just and then they did color coding certain ways by doing the coloring different, all that kind of stuff. I was like, whoo. And then those so are versions, the OG versions worth a lot of money now. Because I have no they're idea. actually pure they, and they're not distorted. They probably are. But then I was going to say the even thing that scared me even more was that version, the bad version is on all the streaming services. Uh, I mean, it makes so, sense because it's widescreen, you know? Yeah. So I was just like, ooh. Uh, well, maybe that's God worth money someday version. because you have yeah. the versions that are it actually show how they were shot. So yeah. yeah. And I a did rip them. So I have problem. a digital version of them that I can just pull up on a laptop anytime I want. Yeah, a lot of things have that problem I, uh, or, or similar. I know that uh, Gilmore Girls was actually shot widescreen, but framed for four, uh, four, three. So four, three, on the yeah. widescreen versions of it, you can see like booms and mics. and things. Oh, really? Like, it's yeah. not terrible. It's not it's not like distracting. But if you're key, if you're keen eyed for it, you can. You yeah, can pick it I out. mean, I would pick but up on it right away. Actual... Everything I watch, I try to figure out how it's produced. So that, yeah. that would just drive me bonkers. So, like... so in the Buffy one, it is it was and Josh, Wien even said like he is he like he wanted the remaster to be done in four by three because that's how it was created. So when they did widescreen on a couple shots, you do see some people in the background in some of the scenes. Really? They don't even crop them. They don't even like wow. erase them out with special <laughs> effects or anything. They just leave them there. I'm like, interesting. What wow. kind of craziness are you doing, people? All right, yeah. we got to wrap it there. We're at an hour and 20 minutes, which means this is going to be a lot of work for me. But I had a lot of fun talking to you guys today. And I do appreciate some new people showed up for this one, which is awesome. Uh, great discussion, great questions. So thanks, everyone, for showing up. Um, this is Ask Shane Anything. We do this recording the second Saturday of every month for our patrons who pledge $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. We do publish the archive for everyone so everyone can learn and uh, watch our discussions. But if you want to get involved, again, you need to bump up that Patreon pledge to $7 a month or more. Thanks to everybody who joined today. We had great discussions and we'll see you next month.